Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. The writer Barry Siegel wrote a piece last year on Bankrate.com that was based on a poll that Bankrate.com sponsored. It had to do with unused gift cards. Unused gift cards, store credits, vouchers, those kinds of things. And the fact that here in this country, here in America, we have a lot, I mean a lot, of unused gift cards. I have some, I'm sure, I know, and you may have some as well. Somebody gave you a birthday gift, and you got it, oh, this is great. Um, wow, I'm going to use this for such and so. I'm going to save this for a rainy day, and then I'll use it. So there it is at home, on the desk, in the drawer, in the file, marked gift cards. And it's unused. I was not aware until I started doing a little checking around, the amount of unused gift cards that exists. So Seagal outlines that in her piece, as well as certain other places as well. So listen to what she wrote. More than half of U.S. adults, 51%, have gift cards at home, leaving, you ready for this, around $15.3 billion in value on the table nationwide which adds up to approximately an average per person value of $116. You got 116, you got 116, you got 116. For all of us. The good news, that figure is down from 167 in January of 2020. More than half of millennials, 56%, haven't used their gift cards with an average per person value of $139 compared with 52% of boomers, $113, 47% of Gen Xers, 112, and 46% of Gen Zers, $81. Unused gift cards, money on the table. I mean, I've done that. Somebody gave me a gift card to a bookstore. I love gift cards to bookstores. You can go in, you can browse, you can look for a good book for a lazy summer afternoon or a cold winter night. You're going to want to get just the right book. So they gave me a gift card, and I thought, okay, I'll find the right book for it, to a, get, to a bookstore called <clears throat> Borders. So it's to Borders Bookstore, and then I got to checking out Borders is out of business. <laughs> Done. And I'm like, what? I've got a gift card. But I did some more checking online, and apparently Borders still has some outlets in Kuala Lumpur. So I'm like, okay, I got enough miles. I can get to Kuala Lumpur. That way I can spend my gift card. So what about you? Do you have those? Do you have unused gift cards lying around? There's another number I debated to share with you because it seems so incredible. But it's from the Harvard Business Review, from their stats and curiosities section, that between the years 2005 and 2011, Americans possessed $14.1 billion dollars in unused gift cards. We got to reverse that trend, right? 
Well, I have three friends who are going to help us do that, and I'm thankful that they are willing to do so. So Karen Rawson, Daryl Cyphers, Philip Hoxie, would you all come on up? I appreciate your willingness to help me here this morning as we wade into this reality of unused gift cards. So I've got three gifts. Come right on up here. You can stand up here on the, on the stage. Phil, just go right over there to my left. Come on up, Daryl, Karen. We're all here. All right. So let me just ask you, uh, Phil, tell me your age. Where are you going to school? I'm, six, I'm 16, and I go to Redland Baptist Academy. All right, excellent. I'm almost looking up to you now, <laughs> Phil. That's amazing. All right, and this is Karen, Karen Rawson. I'm not going to ask your age. Don't <laughs> just, just <laughs> let's cool this down. You're married to? Terry Rawson. To Terry Rawson. Now, Terry Rawson is Tim Rawson, our church business administrator's twin brother. All right, so... We know each other well. I want to make sure this mic is on. And Daryl, you have a wife that does something very special for a lot of us. What does she do? Cookies. Cookies, absolutely. That's a right. Anybody who does cookies is a righteous person. So there we go. Now, I have a gift for each of you. All right, so that has a pink little tag, so that must be here, and a blue tag. Right, actually, let me give you that one. <laughs> and a blue tag right here. Okay, now, I'm going to break some rules of gift giving, and I'm going to tell you what's in the box. Okay? So your gift, each one of you, is, not surprisingly, a gift card. Now, you'll need to find out the amount of the gift card. So I'm giving you a gift card, but there are three strings attached. You ready for this, Phil? So three, three strings attached. First string attached is you have to use it this week. <laughs> That's what Daryl thought, exactly. So you have to use it this week. That's string number one. Everybody good with that? All right. String number two, you have to use it with someone or for someone. In other words, if you want to be a part of it, no problem. Uh, let's say, I mean, we, right out here we have You Reach Cafe. So let's say you decide, okay, I, I, I'm going to go eat at You Reach Cafe. And you're going to eat, that's fine. But you need to bring, you know, Terry or, or Peggy or whoever it is that you want with you. Now, now if you want to go, like, to Nordstrom, yeah, I'd protect that from your mother, by the way, just, just to be clear. Uh, th then it's got to be you're using someone else as well, all right? So number one, this week. Number two, it has to include someone else. You good so far? Number three string, you got to capture it on your video phone. you got to capture whatever you do on your video phone. Because next week, right up there, we're going to show what you did. Now, we're not... <laughs> exactly, thank you. <laughs> Now, we're not looking for Hollywood. Don't feel pressure. Rough, raw, that's fine. We just want to get a sense of what it is that you're doing with the gift card. Are you good with that? Yeah. All right. Everybody, you heard it. Everybody here, these are the witnesses. So we'll look forward. By Thursday, by Thursday noon, we need to have you get it to our media guys, and they'll have it ready for us on Sabbath. Sound good? Yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much. And we're looking forward to seeing what happens. So we'll find out if we can reverse some of the trend of unused gift cards and how we'll do that. But for now, we're going to 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 begins with a dramatic turnaround. If you read the first six verses of 1 Peter 4, you see a group of people who had lived in very wild and decadent ways. And somehow Jesus had reached out, 
had saved them, had turned their lives around, and had moved them now in a new direction. So it is to that group of people that Peter is writing. So when we start in verse 7, just know that he's just recognized where they were, where they are now, and what God is doing in their lives. Now, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of the world is coming soon. Uh, we, we have to stop right there. It's not the end of the verse, but we have to stop. Don't we? This was written two millennia ago. 2,000 years ago. The end of the world is coming soon. Peter. <laughs> you got to help us with this. How can we read this with credibility? In fact, our temptation, in all honesty, when we're reading Scripture, or in this case we're reading 1 Peter, is to read right past that, put on some blinders, and try not to worry too much about it. But friends, let's not deny the reality. This presents us with a problem. The end of the world is coming soon. If you're Adventist, small a, you believe in the second advent of Christ in any part of the body of Christ, or if you're Adventist, large A, Seventh-day Adventist, it's a problem. We believe so much in the second advent that we made it part of our name, Seventh-day Adventist. In fact, the eminent Adventist historian George Knight has something to say about time and Adventism. book I just finished this last week, very interesting and stirring book. Knight writes this. You may not agree with everything he says. Think it through, sort it through, but you need to listen to it. Here's what Knight writes. The Seventh-day Adventist church has only one genuine problem, time. Time just goes on and on and on as the years of preaching the soon-coming Savior continue to expand past 170. Many of us expected the Second Advent to arrive in our youth, and now we are old. Time. Ongoing time is Adventism's only problem. All other issues flow out of that single problem, including the denomination's theological, administrative, and financial tensions. Give Dr. Knight some time, because as you ponder that, you begin to realize he has a point. So much of what we struggle with, so much tension that has been created has to do with that delay theologically, administratively, missionally, in so many ways. What do we do? And then we come to Peter, not 170 years, but 2,000 years ago. The world is coming to an end. Jesus will come soon. The truth is, I started in this passage with an interest in something that comes later in the passage. But I quickly realized we can't go to what's later until we say something about that one line. Otherwise, we're not fair to Peter. So three brief thoughts. Number one, the mindset of the New Testament writers was very different than our mindset in our understanding of that term, last days. For the New Testament writers, the last days, the time of the end, began at Bethlehem with the Christ event, 
When Christ was incarnated, when he came the first time, it moved us into a new age called the last days. In fact, I want you to listen to how the writer of the letter to the Hebrews opens the letter because it gives us that insight. So listen to what it says, Hebrews 1.1. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. So back through our history, he's saying to these Hebrew people, God has been busy speaking in all kinds of different ways through all kinds of different prophets. But now, in these what? Final days, he has spoken to us through his son. The final days begin, the final age, the final epoch begin with Christ. Listen to New Testament scholar Clinton Arnold who says, while most Christians of the first generation expected the return of Christ and the end of the age within their lifetime, the clause itself refers to the idea that Jesus inaugurated the last stage in human history. Therefore, the next major event on God's timetable was the final end of the age. That's how Peter's writing. We have to honor his understanding and his intent. That's the first thought. Second thought. God's perspective on time and our perspective on time are dramatically different. Anyone who has ever been a parent or a grandparent can understand that. Anyone who can remember being a little child waiting for Christmas can understand that. Two dramatically different perspectives. You remember the story of the man having a conversation with God. God, what is a million years like to you? And God says, it's like a minute. Wow. What's a million dollars like to you? It's like a penny. Wow. God, can I have a penny? Sure, just a minute. <laughs> Human perspective on time and God's perspective on time are dramatically different. And so when Peter writes, the end of the world is at hand, we say, what happened? Not only 170 years, 2,000 years. And God says, that's just around the corner. It's just around the corner. That's the second thought. Third thought, to this phrase, to this verse, the, the first sentence of which we read and said, okay, we got to stop there. The end of the world is coming soon. There is also a deeply personal perspective I think William Barclay says it best of any when he writes of that personal perspective with these words he says the simple fact is that the be, is that behind this there is one inescapable and most personal truth for every one of us the time is near the one thing which can be said of every one of us is that we will die. For every one of us, the Lord is at hand. We cannot tell the day and the hour. Therefore, all life is lived in the shadow of eternity. Three thoughts to begin. But once we have considered those, we also have to ask, so what? Okay, so Peter, you've said the end of the world is coming soon. Okay, so we understand some of those realities then. But now what? 
What do we do about that then? How do we live in readiness for the coming of Christ? That's a probing question. Because you can get many different answers to that question. Most of them purporting to come from this book. We have those among us. How we are to prepare. How we are to live in readiness for the coming of Christ. You will find people that say it's buried in the news, it's buried in the headlines, it's buried in what happens behind the scenes. And no question there are things that we don't understand or know. You will find it in those who say you have to continue to overcome sin in your life until you reach a state of sinlessness. Certainly, Christ calls us to grow to maturity. You find those that are just so scared by it, they're not quite sure how to respond to it. Driven and motivated by fear. So how are we to respond to that? Michael Samarja, VP for Research Affairs at Loma Linda University Health, sent me an email the other day. He said, I saw this bumper sticker on a car, so I took a picture of it. You might want to share it at some point in time. It reflected somebody who apparently had an idea of how to respond to the fact that the end of the world is coming soon. So you'll see the picture on the screen. Somebody slapped this bumper sticker on the car. Jesus is coming. Look busy. Well, that's another approach. But what interests me is what does Peter say? Peter says three things. He gives us three words. The first two we're going to look at fairly briefly, and then the third one we're going to spend a little bit more time on. So here's what he says. Back to 1 Peter 4, verse 7. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, now remember when he says therefore, he says, I've said this about the end of the world. Therefore, built on that, this is what the expectation then is. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. So how do we live? The first thing we do is we live a life of robust prayer. We live a life of robust prayer. We dedicate ourselves to prayer. And it makes sense, does it not? If you have some difficult time coming up with your family, some deep challenge that you're facing, what do you do? Don't you turn the TV off, put down the phones, sit around the table face to face, eyeball to eyeball, and say, how are we going to get through this? What do we need to do to be able to hang together through what's about to hit us? How can we support each other? In other words, we communicate. We commune with one another. And that's what Peter's saying. Since we are living on the lip of eternity, live lives of robust prayer. I love Ellen White's sentence. It's become one of my life sentences when it comes to prayer. Steps to Christ 93, prayer is the opening of the heart to God as to a friend. That's what it is. It's just throwing my soul, the chambers of my heart, open to him and saying, this is who I am. This is what I am. I know it's not pretty. I'm in such deep need of your grace. But I have to know you're with me. Many of us are journeying through the Bible, the chronological Bible this year. And just this week, 
If you were on the same page I'm on, we're reading about Moses who in the wilderness is being beset upon by the people of Israel. And he says, God, I don't even want to go this journey unless I know you're with me. If you're not going to go with us, then forget it. That's that kind of honest communion with God. That's the prayer Peter is talking about. Live a life of robust prayer. Second, live a life of deep love. Live a life of deep love. So back to 1 Peter 4, this time verse 8. Most important of all, Continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. He's giving us three words. First word is prayer. Second word is love. Love. Live a life of deep love. You notice how he begins verse 8. Most important of all. Four words. Different versions will render that differently. Of greatest importance, of highest importance, above all. They're all trying to capture the nuance of a Greek word that has its roots in athletic competitions. It literally means to stretch, to strain. Tomorrow evening, about 6.30, whichever team wins, I can almost guarantee you that every football player, every athlete whose cleat hit that field will want to honestly be able to say one thing. One thing, and that is, I left it all on the field. I did not hold back one ounce of my energy. I did not hold back one iota of what I know and what I've trained and what I've practiced for. I left it all on the field. I gave it everything that I have. That's the word here. And you know what we're to do that with? Love. Peter is saying, when you live on the lip of eternity and you know that all of this will end, leave it all on the field. When it comes to love, invest yourself to the ultimate degree. But do you know what concerns me? Not only that that's a deep challenge in my own life, but what also concerns me is that so often, talk about the end of the world, and this has especially been true in more recent times, is accompanied not by love, but by anger, division, hostility. But friends, if we truly are living on the lip of eternity, then Peter says, make every effort, leave it all on the field for what? For love. In this verse, twice, he uses the term agape. Not nice, warm feelings oozing all over another person. No, 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 no. It's a high and holy principle of self-giving love. Though I may disagree with you, I will respect you, and I will work for your best good. That's love. Peter says, leave it all on the field for that. Do not hold back. And then he gives one example. Now, now honestly, if I was talking to Peter, I'd say, Peter, choose a different example. Don't use hospitality. I mean, come on, my wife's really good at that, and I'm not. Use something. Why don't you and I talk about that? But no, he says, hospitality. Here's an example of how you can love each other. Reminding me of the story. Remember the little girl? 
Mother would invite all these people over for lunch after church. She wanted to kind of showcase her little daughter. So when it came time to pray, she said to her little girl, Honey, would you pray? She said, No, 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 Mommy, I don't want to pray. No, honey, you know how to do it. Go, go ahead and pray. No, please just go ahead. Mommy, I don't know what to say. Mommy says, Well, just say what I say. Uh-oh. So the little girl bows her head. She says, Dear God, why did I invite all these people? <laughs> she and I have a kinship. <laughs> he says, hospitality, here is one example of the way you can show love for one another. So when we're staring eternity in the face, what do we do? Peter says, you pray, you love. And then thirdly, he says, you live lives of wholehearted service. You live lives of wholehearted service. So back to 1 Peter 4. It's time, verse 10. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. We're in a series on spiritual gifts right now. And we've been talking about the fact that every one of us has given a gift. Now Peter comes and he underlines that again. And he says God has a great variety of spiritual gifts of which you have one. So use it well to serve others. So what does it mean to say use it well? He clarifies in verse 11. He says do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Now we've been looking at Paul for two or three weeks. And we've noticed that Paul, when it comes to listing the spiritual gifts, he, he waxes eloquent. When he starts, he just keeps listing them. In fact, the last time we were together, we noticed that out of his three primary passages, if we take out the ones that are overlaps, we have at least 20 gifts Paul talks about. But when we come to Peter, he doesn't do that. Peter restrains himself to two headings, just two general headings underneath which many gifts fall. Those are serving gifts and speaking gifts. So serving gifts like hospitality, like mercy, like compassion, like helps, those kinds of gifts. Or speaking gifts like evangelism, like faith, like leadership, like witnessing. Like what we saw in today's video with Adrian Sotelo. Were you caught by his heart passion? This sense of call on his life, God is pushing me. He's not only nudging, but pushing me to go out to share, to connect, to listen, to mingle, to grow, and then to invite people to follow Jesus. That's a gift of speaking. Peter says, whichever one you have, put your wholehearted self into it as though God himself were working through you. Some of you will remember the name Bill Liversidge. Bill Liversidge had a prayer years ago that somehow burned itself into my mind. I still pray it, prayed it this morning. When it comes to those moments of ministry, Liversidge said, it's as though I'm a pipe, a pipe through which the oil is supposed to flow. So when it comes to ministering in God's name, I pray, God, clean out the pipe. 
Get all of the dirt and the grime and everything that stops it up. Get it out of there so that the oil of your spirit can truly flow. Sounds suspiciously like what Peter is saying. Allow the oil to truly flow. So what do you do when you realize we're facing eternity? The end of the world is coming soon in Peter's terminology. Well, Peter says, you pray, you love, you serve. Because those disciplines that are consistently developing in a person's life are the kinds of disciplines that form us in the Spirit of Christ. We are living, in other words, in readiness for His return. So can I ask you a favor? Away with all the fear tactics. Let's stop engaging fear about the coming. Fear is no motivation that is healthy. Fear will not last. Let's be done with that. Away with the division, the polarization, the anger at each other, even within the body of Christ. We can disagree and still be respectful without demonizing one another. We're facing eternity. We're facing the coming. Peter says then, pray and love and serve one another. Now when we think about that kind of service, these spiritual gifts which he addresses, that we can invest in either others within the body or others in the world. We're tempted to think, that we're just serving, if you can say just serving. But here's where you have to understand Peter. Because what Peter is saying is, when you're praying, you think you're just praying? No, you're living in readiness for the coming of Christ. When you're loving, do you think you're just loving? No, you're living in readiness for the coming of Christ. And when you're serving, you think you're just serving? No. You're living in readiness for the coming of Christ. That's what's happening among us as we pray and we love and we serve. So we come to church this morning. We have three friends, Karen Rawson, Bill Hoxie, Daryl Cyphers, who get gifts gift cards. You got to spend these this week. We want to see up there next week what you did. And we're excited. And we do it to remind us of what Peter says. But you know what? That's not really what happens here this morning. What really happens here this morning is that Jesus gives every single one of us gifts. Not just three. Every single one of us. Receive his gifts. And then he says, you got to put these to use this week. And then he says, when you do, everybody will see and will praise God for what's happening at Loma Linda University 
church. God of grace, we thank you for the gifts you bestow. We honor and praise you for the call on our lives. Lord, let us face the future with sobriety. No question about that, but not with fear. Let us move forward as the people of God with prayer, with love, and with service. In the name of Jesus, amen. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.